Please be seated. Good evening to you. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 4 this evening. Sunday night we make our way through the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation. We come now to Daniel 9. If you joined us tonight and you're without a Bible, just flag one of these guys that are coming up the aisle right now with Bibles. We want you to hear the word, but we want you to see it with your own eyes and uh, come in through the ear gate and the eye gate as well. Double witness to uh, the beauty of the Word, if, and, uh, and if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord uh, to you uh, this evening. As we uh, come here into chapter 4, and as we're finding our way here to Daniel uh, 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 chapter 4, um, on Sunday mornings we're going through the book of Genesis, and then on Sunday night through the book uh, of Daniel. And so th this evening I'd like to formally... Uh, uh, make uh, Daniel and Genesis Ming uh, the honorary couple of the fellowship for the coming eight weeks. Yes, please, please. Uh, that we'll be going through. Uh, wild, isn't it? Um, I'm not giving any kind of spiritual uh, significance to it, but it is, is fascinating. And I thought, I can't let this pass without at least uh, making mention of it. As we come to chapter 4 of the book of Daniel, there is a, a period, a, a gap of about 30 years between chapters 3 uh, and 4. Nebuchadnezzar reigned for a total of 43 years. The events that occur in Daniel chapter 4 cover a period of 8 years, and uh, plus he reigned a little while, obviously, on the other side of these events, and so it's, it is estimated to be a 30-year gap. Daniel would be probably about 50 years old. Remember, he began his uh, ministry there in Babylon as a, a mid, probably mid-teens in terms of age, and now has been serving the Lord there for this uh, length of time. Uh, there, uh, there is kind of significant uh, debate that occurs among scholars and Bible students on the subject of uh, whether in chapter 4 we have the formal, uh, you know, declaration here of Nebuchadnezzar and, and whether this uh, testimony that he gives here uh, means that he finally uh, came to know the Lord, came to finally surrender and uh, his life to Yahweh, to the God uh, of the Jews. And so did he really, really uh, get saved or does this represent a testimony to something uh, less than that? And the, and the chapter is his testimony uh, to the greatness of God, to God's work in his life, but also to his surrender to the God of the Jews, the God uh, of the Bible. Uh, there are some people that look at this, even though the, there's such strength of testimony on the part of Nebuchadnezzar, and you'll notice when we read through this, this is not Daniel speaking now in, in chapter 4. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, this is his words as recorded by the Holy Spirit for us. This is his declaration. And there are some people that look at it and say that it's just inconceivable that a king so wicked and bloodthirsty and awful as Nebuchadnezzar uh, was that he could have ever, you know, become a follower uh, of, of the God of the Bible. So they, they uh, dismiss this as, as him impossible for him to come to worship and follow the God of the Bible uh, exclusively. But as we study the chapter... 
will, I'll let you come to your own conclusion. I do think that uh, his conversion to the Lord would be a very, very fitting climax to uh, the spiritual progression that we see him in him in the book of Daniel. He disappears after chapter 4. This is his curtain call. I mean, it's, it's the swan song. It's, it's over. He's gone after this chapter. So in, in uh, uh, chapter 2, he has this great dream of this uh, image that is before him, the head of gold and the, and the uh, chest and uh, arms of silver and so forth. And, uh, and when he, and he, he sees this vision, Daniel gives him the dream and the interpretation, and he praises and he extols the God uh, of Daniel. Uh, last week, as we saw in chapter 3, and the three he- Hebrew children in that fiery furnace, they come out untouched, and again he honors and he praises and he extols the God uh, of uh, of the Jews. And so he's acknowledged the power of the Lord. He's acknowledged the wisdom of God, the superior uh, wisdom and power of God to anything that, that he had ever experienced. And now I think it's fitting, uh, in, certainly in my mind, that uh, before he's kind of ushered off of the scene of, of the book of Daniel, that he describes a, an even greater uh, spiritual experience that happens between him and God, a greater uh, understanding of the Lord, and uh, perhaps even uh, a description of his, his very uh, salvation. And he, he begins it by saying, Nebuchadnezzar the king, which was saying a lot in those days. I mean, he was the, the head of the world-ruling empire at the time. And he addresses this testimony, what follows here in this chapter, to all people's nations, languages that dwell in all of the earth. And so clearly, he wants everyone in the world, not only everyone within the Babylonian empire, but everyone in the world to know what happened between him and God and the net result of that uh, in his life. He wants everyone to hear and to know his testimony. Uh, I think it's interesting when he goes on there in verse in that verse and says, peace be multiplied to you. It certainly reminds us uh, of another person uh, in the Bible that no one thought would get saved either, and that is the Apostle Paul when he wrote in, uh, in his epistles over and over again, grace and peace be unto you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And and this uh, beautiful uh, declaration of peace. It's wonderful. It's only a person who's at peace that can really pronounce that kind of uh, peace upon other people, long for that peace upon other people's lives. And, and uh, uh, th- this is a far cry. Peace be multiplied from you uh, to you. Far cry from what we've seen thus far in Nebuchadnezzar, and that is, if you don't do what I want, I'll hack you in little pieces and make your house an a-, a-, a, you know, a, a dung heap. So this is an improvement. Something has happened in this man's life. He said, I thought it good to declare uh, the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. And so this is the purpose of his letter. He wants the world to know, us included, what God had done um, in, in his life. And so, and he has the, the unique confidence. I mean, you and I, we each have a testimony. We'll talk about that later. But uh, he could be confident that when he told his testimony, 
that uh, certainly everyone in the Babylonian Empire uh, would listen to that testimony and they would uh, take the time to listen to it uh, and to, to read it. And, and uh, as he thinks about this great work that God has uh, worked in him, uh, he's thankful how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting king, kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. He is so thankful. Now he's seen uh, a lot of miracles from God already and and giving the dream the interpretation of the dream uh, God's servants being uh, uh, saved in the midst of that that fiery furnace but I think that as he begins here maybe the greatest miracle that he uh, that he has now encountered that has impressed him the most is that someone like him could ultimately have his eyes opened and he could be uh, saved. You remember when Jesus spoke to the disciples and he said to them uh, that uh, it's, it's easier uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And I mean, it was a poetic language to describe. It's really rough uh, because rich people can be very proud. They can be very independent. Uh, they can fail to see their need to be saved, a need uh, for God, these kind of things. And uh, ultimately, God takes the most powerful, richest man in the world in Nebuchadnezzar and saves him. But boy, <laughs> he got pulled through the eye of a needle. I mean, it happened, but if you're familiar with the story, uh, it took a lot to get this guy saved. And I, don't, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Nebuchadnezzar, he thinks about this and he thinks about what was required of God in order for him to be saved, uh, that he looked at it and said, that is the greatest miracle. Uh, I have ever experienced in in my life, and so uh, then, as we uh, come here in in uh, uh, verse four, he gives the circumstances surrounding uh, his his uh, his testimony, his coming uh, to know the Lord, and so he he makes known this is what I this is what this is all about. This is what chapter four is all about. It is, uh, it, it, he doesn't know it's a chapter four. The Holy Spirit takes care of that. But this is what this is about. I want you to know uh, the, uh, what, uh, what this, is, this is all about before I even begin to tell you uh, the story. There is, if you're going to teach, and I, all of us in this room have been in academic environments uh, and in churches too where sermons or, or, or Bible studies are going on. There's a couple different ways that you can handle a Bible study when you are uh, teaching the Bible. One way is, and this is very, very common, as you have probably experienced in your own life, one way is, is for the, the Bible teacher or the preacher to get up and declare plainly uh, the point that he or she wants to make in this Bible study. Uh, so you go into it without any confusion about what he's trying to say or she's trying to say. And then as the Bible study unfolds, you see how it links to all of that. It's a very, very effective way uh, to teach the Bible and uh, because it possesses the, the, the absolute uh, highest amount of, of clarity for people. And then there, the, there's another way 
and that is uh, to not make it plain uh, to begin with and just begin to head into the sermon head into the passage and you're going here and there as it relates to the passage and it kind of swirling around and all and uh, and then it isn't until the final uh, five minutes the final two minutes that uh, the minister of the word then brings out the single great point that he or she is wanting to make and the advantage of that kind of teaching is that there's always the element of surprise. You just never quite know uh, where are they going and where is this going to land. To me, Don McClure is the master of this. Uh, he starts a Bible study and he goes Old Testament, New Testament. It's like you're in the middle of a tornado. He's talking about David. He's talking about Jude. And it's all over the place. And you wonder, does he even know where he's going sometimes? And, and I'm a big fan of his teaching gift. It's one of the finest in, in existence in terms of how it appeals to me. And, uh, and I personally, I enjoy that kind of a journey. And then all of a sudden he reaches that point where then he says a single sentence and the entire thing crystallizes. We see how all of it uh, occurred. And so the two methodologies, but this is Nebuchadnezzar, his main concern is that there would be absolute clarity on this. So he makes known, this is what this is about. And this is what I want you uh, to learn here. The circumstances concerning the, the dream is I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Now, that's, that's a pretty good place to be in life, isn't it? At rest and then flourishing. It's wonderful when those two words come together in anybody's life, especially as powerful and the sheer amount of responsibility as someone like Nebuchadnezzar had. Sometimes we know rest, but we're not flourishing. Uh, sometimes we're flourishing, but we don't know rest. He's on top of the world. Things are not only going absolutely great in his personal life, but it's going great for uh, the Babylonian uh, empire that he oversees. But in this condition, he saw a dream, uh, which he declared, I saw a dream which made me afraid, uh, and the thoughts on, uh, on my bed uh, and the visions of my head. I don't know if he's rapping there, a uh, little hip-hop artist in him uh, 3,000 years ago. But uh, he, he said, the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head, they troubled me. And the word, the, the word troubled there is it's in our English version. The Hebrew word is, is, is stronger than that. It terrified him. So whatever it is that he sees here, uh, it, it terrifies him and it jars him from this condition of, of rest and, and flourishing. And therefore, uh, having this vision, uh, this dream, he then issued a decree to uh, bring in all of the wise men of Babylon before me. So here we go again. Uh, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream and then the magicians, the astrologers and uh, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers, they all came in and Nebuchadnezzar doesn't ask this time that they will tell him the dream first and then uh, the interpretation as well. He gives them the dream. He, he, he primes the pump but they did not make known to me its interpretation. So after about this time you've got to be thinking uh, why in the world am I uh, paying? Uh, 
for these people. Uh, they're 0 for 3 at this point. Every time I need them, and this is the only reason I have them around, is for this kind of thing. And I've had them around now for 30 years, and, uh, and I'm still not getting my money's worth out of them, and, they, and un, unable to uh, make known the dream to them. But you notice at the end of verse 7, uh, the, that final section of the sentence, but they did not make known to me uh, its interpretation. And, and that, that did not, again, in the Hebrew language, as it's written here, it allows for a different scenario here. It is entirely possible that they knew the interpretation, uh, but they did not make it known to him. And, uh, and here they are, uh, they, they uh, owe everything in their life, their position, their livelihood, everything to this man, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. They recognize, it's not like this is a difficult dream to interpret. There's a gigantic tree. Who can that be? Uh, it gets cut down to the ground. I mean, got to be a disaster. So this isn't, this isn't like rocket science for these people. So it, it isn't uh, inconceivable that they knew exactly what the interpretation was, but they, it wasn't that they could not, but that they did not. And, uh, and they thought to themselves, how can we get out of this? We'll just uh, let them know that, that, uh, that we're not able to do this, and we'll punt the ball to Daniel and let Daniel bring the bad news to this very, very powerful uh, king. So that is uh, precisely what they, uh, uh, they did as the, as the account uh, unfolds. And so Daniel uh, comes in, and Daniel's going to be completely unlike them. Uh, he's going to come in, and he's going to have the courage to say the hard thing to not only the most powerful man in the world at that time, but one of the most powerful human beings in the history of the world. It wasn't an easy thing uh, for him uh, to do. And, uh, and yet he steps up, he has the, cr the courage uh, to step up and tell the king what, what uh, he, he needs to, uh, to hear, even the hard thing that he needs to hear uh, from, uh, from uh, God, the things that we wouldn't necessarily want anybody uh, to, uh, to tell us. And this great uh, destructive thing in Nebuchadnezzar's life was his pride, and that's what Daniel was going to have to confront and speaking to him about uh, the dream and the interpretation of it was to confront him with, with his, the, his, his pride. It is very, very easy for us. We all understand what it is to be in the position of the wise men. Uh, we all know what it is to be in the position of David and the relationships within our life, in our family, in our peer group, in who we have interactions with in life. And uh, somebody comes up to us and says, my entire life is a mess. My entire life is a nightmare. Uh, my whole life is imploding. And, uh, and I don't know why. Can you tell me why? And everyone in the family can tell them why their life is imploding. It's as obvious as, as uh, the nose on somebody's face. But nobody will tell them. Uh, or whatever the relationship may be in life. 
Uh, we hunker down and, and uh, the very thing that they need to hear from God, for someone to step up and say, all, every kind of, every crisis that is in your life, every flaw in your character can be easily remedied by giving your life to Jesus Christ and allowing him to make you into a new creation. But we hesitate to do it because we don't, we lack the courage to take the flack that can sometimes come our way uh, for saying something like that, or we don't want to risk the relationship, or our livelihood is, is tied to it in some way. So we understand the self-preservation that is behind what the, the wise men did, but it's not noble at all. It's not noble in them, and it's not noble in us. And, uh, and the example for our life is not them. Uh, not to walk in that kind of cowardice concerning people, uh, but rather in, in the courage that, that uh, Daniel did here. Where else are people going to hear uh, about how God sees their life and their situation, except that uh, Christians then tell them the overwhelming majority of the world is completely unqualified to speak uh, into that kind of a situation or to offer any help by virtue of failing to be saved themselves. And so this is important to look and say uh, and commit in our own hearts. And maybe it'll uh, come your way this very week where someone will say something, their life is imploding, this, and you know the answer is God, the only answer is God, and there'll be that, that endeavor to, to uh, come back and say, God, send another Christian to them. Uh, to tell them what they need to hear. Or we'll say to them, you need to go talk to a pastor. Whew. All right. Let them take the heat for telling them uh, the truth. And uh, may come our way this very week or for the rest of our life. But to recognize those situations where if we don't speak up, uh, then nobody's going to speak up and have the courage to say uh, what needs to be said. And the more powerful a person, of course, the harder that uh, all of that uh, is. And uh, so, but at last he said in verse 8, Daniel came before me. His name is Belshazzar. He identifies Daniel as Belshazzar. He's writing this to the Babylonian Empire. They did not know him as Daniel. They knew him as Belshazzar, so he wants this to be clear, that this is the guy uh, that helped me out according to the name of my God. And in him is the spirit of the holy God, and I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, uh, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you by virtue of his previous revelations. He said, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. And so uh, he requests this of Daniel, and he says, here were the visions uh, of my head while on my bed. In other words, a dream. I was looking, and behold, uh, so picture it in your mind, uh, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. 
the tree grew and became strong. Its height reached uh, to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. Now, that's a tree. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The, the beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed uh, from it. And so the entire world finding protection, finding sustenance and, and shelter from whatever this tree uh, represents. And uh, so far, so good. Uh, but the dream went on. And he said, I saw, here's the bad part, I saw in the, vi- in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, and this is speaking of uh, angelic, an angelic being of some kind. Uh, they are watchers. The Bible says that Angels are uh, ministering spirits. Uh, they are, you talk, we talk about the guardian angel that's been assigned to every Christian and, and all, and that's the, that's the idea. Uh, they are uh, the, the given as assistance to us, as, as heirs of salvation. They watch everything that is going on. They are God's servants to uh, address the issues of, of mankind and, and the circumstances of the earth. And so uh, there he sees this watcher, a holy one, and, it's, and this watcher's coming down from heaven. And so an angel, uh, angel means messenger, and so here he comes uh, on an errand from uh, God. And this watcher then cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from uh, its branches. Nevertheless, leave uh, the stump. And so that's all that's going to be left is a stump. And, uh, but leave the stump there and the roots in the earth and then uh, uh, leave that stump bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Uh, let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And, and then here the watcher moves from uh, referring to the tree as an it and he starts to refer to the tree as a him. And, uh, and I don't doubt that Nebuchadnezzar recognized that. <laughs> so whatever's happening to this tree, uh, you don't want to be that tree and you don't want to be the him that this tree represents. And let him graze with the, the uh, uh, beasts and on the grass of the earth and let his heart be changed uh, from that of a man and let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. In other words, uh, whoever this is talking about will be in this condition, living a man created in the image of God, a man who has capacity for relationship with God is now going to live on the level of a beast, going to live on the level uh, of an animal. Uh, and, and the capacity, whatever it is that, that makes a man distinctive from the rest of uh, the animal kingdom by virtue of being created in the image of God, all that will become lost on this uh, individual and he will live, he will feel, he will think uh, on the, the level of a, an animal. 
and this, uh, this, uh, the, the duration of this event will be seven seasons. Some people look at the seven seasons and they uh, uh, declare that it could speak of seven seasons in terms of uh, winter, spring, summer, and fall. And so it was a period of, of uh, uh, something slightly less than two years that he was in this condition. Uh, most scholars look at it and say it was a period of seven years that's being talked about here. Uh, one of the reasons that most uh, all of us can understand is that w- later on the description of Nebuchadnezzar, when all of this happened in his life, his hair growing down like a bird and becoming matted and his nails becoming like claws, it, it, it describes uh, a condition that someone would be in longer than uh, the uh, one and three quarters uh, years. But it'll be a lengthy period of time. And this decision uh, is by the decree of the watchers. And so the watcher declares that this is a decree uh, of uh, the angelic realm. And the sentence uh, by the word of the holy ones in order that. And here is the whole reason for why this is going to happen in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, life. In order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men uh, and uh, gives it to whoever he will uh, and sets over it the lowest of men. Uh, and, And again, we go back to something I repeat with some regularity, the two great rules of the universe, there is a God and you're not him. And Nebuchadnezzar really struggled with that. Uh, and everybody struggles with it more or less. Uh, when I uh, was exposed to the Bible and, and uh, uh, somebody, you know, I, and I heard about God's assessment of me as a sinner, it was like, okay, <laughs> what's the next, next thing I need to know? You're not going to get an argument from me on that. But uh, boy, shockeroo. When, uh, you know, you become a Christian and then even when you become a pastor and you realize uh, that not everybody comes to God from that vantage point. I mean, it is a real affront to them uh, to be called a sinner. They really struggle with that. Even when they understand what the definition of a sinner is, and that is to be less than perfect. Well, who can fight with that? But, uh, but people do, and people uh, struggle with that more or less, that there is a God and I am not Him. And, uh, 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 but ultimately, God prevails, and He does even in the most powerful, even in the most uh, kind of uh, uh, dug in and, and, and resistant, and he, He'll do that with, with Nebuchadnezzar. And this dream, uh, as, as Nebuchadnezzar delivers the dream to uh, Daniel, now he, he said, here it is for the interpretation. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, have seen. And now you, Belteshazzar, uh, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation But you are able, for the Spirit of God uh, is in uh, you. And so he now gives, as he writes this record out, he he delivers that interpretation, the dream to Daniel for the interpretation. And uh, and Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, uh, he receives, uh, apparently instantly, he receives the interpretation to the dream. And his reaction was physical. 
Uh, it tells us that he was astonished uh, for a time. And uh, the word astonished in the Hebrew, it means uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, made to tremble. So he has a physical reaction and he begins to shake and to tremble. Uh, before the king, and uh, his, his thoughts were uh, so troubled by all of this. A and the king, uh, watching all of this and recognizing that somehow this was difficult for Daniel, he reassures him and he says, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. You can feel free to tell me uh, your life is not in danger by whatever you bring uh, forth here. And, and Nebuchadnezzar wrongly understands Daniel's trembling to a fear for his life. And it isn't a fear for his life that, he, that he's trembling. And uh, what, uh, the reason he was trembling, uh, he gives there uh, in the latter part of verse 19, Belteshazzar, uh, answered and said, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation uh, concern your enemies. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, this is about you and, um, and your enemies are going to rejoice in this interpretation. And I could wish that the interpretation of this dream was about your enemies, but it is about you. And Belshazzar said, uh, and then he said, as he gives the interpretation, the tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached uh, to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, uh, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home, it is you, O King. Oh, man. You ever had God say something hard to you? I mean, it's just like everything goes slow-mo. <laughs> I mean, it's like this had to hit him like a ton of bricks. This is about you who have grown and become strong. Uh, that's the reason for the greatness of the tree. Your greatness has grown and it reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of uh, the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots uh, in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him uh, graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. Uh, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, this is not merely the decree of the watchers uh, or the angelic realm. Uh, they have been sent with this word to you uh, from, as a decree from the Most High, from God Almighty Himself. And they shall drive you, these watchers, from men, your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen, and they shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you. And then here is the whole gist of everything, uh, the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar was supposed to learn. 
and, and he wants everybody to learn till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he uh, chooses. And so uh, Daniel informs him of, of all of this, that he is going to be brought down to the level uh, of an animal, that the king would be driven away from people, uh, that he, his behavior would become so animal-like and so bizarre uh, that he would be inappropriate in, in that uh, environment. It would be like have, throwing a big party. We've got, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up, and then, you know, bringing a cow uh, in, into the, ho- the house for Thanksgiving. And uh, what do you do with a cow? I mean, it can't talk to you, you can't talk to it. I mean, it just would be completely inappropriate. And again, this is, this is the level to which he has fallen now uh, in, in his mental ca- capacities and, and, and will, will happen to them there. It, it probably, when he goes into this period for, for the seven years, they didn't like launch him out into public out into the city of Babylon formerly. Uh, the, he was probably kept uh, by the, uh, his, his guardians, uh, those the regents that were continuing to rule over the empire while he was in this state for a period of time. And, um, and so, uh, so probably within walled gardens, he lived this kind of existence for, uh, for seven years. But... Uh, but that, that, that this was happening was kept a secret from the people. And that's why Nebuchadnezzar wants to write this letter to his entire kingdom to let them know why he disappeared for seven years and, and why they didn't hear from him for seven years and what was, uh, what was coming down uh, during that, that period. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he, uh, he would uh, uh, here uh, be, live on this level of, of an animal. He'd live with the wild animals. And then at night, as is described here, he would, uh, wouldn't come inside like a man. He'd remain out into the field, out in the elements, all of the... And as, he, as anyone would see him in the morning, he would be drenched with the dew of heaven, just like an animal would be. And this behavior would continue for uh, seven years. Now, this um, gives us some insight into how deeply ingrained uh, pride was in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Seven years in this condition before he looks up. Now, so here we are in some particular day. What day is it in November? Tenth? Did you say 10th? Yeah, okay. So the 10th of November, 2019. Now, and we sit here in this room tonight. Now just put a, put a little pause right here and then think about what age you will be in seven years. What will be the age of your children? What will be the age of your grandchildren? How many things are going to happen in your life in seven years? It's an immense block of time that he's going to be in this condition. And it took him that long before he looked up to God in submission, as we'll see in in just a moment, and for this pride in his life to be broken. I mean, you would think that anyone that would be in that condition for like 48 hours would cry uncle. 
two hours. I <laughs> just say, all right, uncle, I give. You're in. And for, no, it took this long for this guy. And, and when we look at this judgment that God brings upon Nebuchadnezzar, it, it is important not to miss how much grace God uh, shows this guy. He's already interpreted his dream, given his dream, interpreted his dream in chapter 2. He's already shown Nebuchadnezzar his power uh, for this uh, in, in preserving his, uh, uh, God's uh, children there in the fiery furnace of, of Babylon. And uh, ultimately, he's going to give Nebuchadnezzar uh, a year to repent of his pride and his wrong behavior. And, uh, and only after he blows through all of those stop signs, all of those, those things that he did in his life to try and bring him to God, was he then forced to judge him in that way. This is the interesting thing that, that you know, you can look at this and say, nothing would be worth, worth that for what, that God would do something like that to another person. His soul is. And to come running in, in, a, in a, 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 a hand-wringing fashion and make God the bad guy of the scene rather than Nebuchadnezzar is to fail to understand the value of, of a soul. Whatever is required to happen in our life that we would be humbled in life and finally look up to God and be saved is worth going through in this life. Uh, because the life to come is uh, in an eternal uh, life. And so this was the condition that, uh, that he was in. And that very hour, uh, the word was fulfilled concerning uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, I'm sorry, wait a second. And, and, uh, and then he declared there in, in verse 26, rather, and inasmuch as they gave the command uh, to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assigned to you after you come to know that the Lord rules. And so here's a little a word of hope. Nebuchadnezzar, the reason the trump they didn't bring in the, the tree stump grinders is because uh, after these seven years, your kingdom will be held for you. Uh, regents will, will come into place. They will rule for you. The, the Babylonian Empire will continue until you are restored back to your place. And of course, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar ultimately loses his sanity, becomes an animal, uh, so to speak, it would be Daniel who would be able to speak to the, the Nebuchadnezzar's counselors and declare to them the vision, the interpretation of the dream here, and that this is going to be for a period of seven years, and then he will be back. And there was enough respect for Nebuchadnezzar as a leader, pretty tough guy, uh, but they respected him enough in the, in the ancient world for any ruler to show any kind of weakness at all. I mean, the long knives would come out and the assassination attempts would occur, but none of that happened. Uh, they, they oversaw uh, the, the Babylonian Empire until he was restored to his position as, uh, as the dream indicated would be the case. There's always an after in all of this. God doesn't do these things in anybody's life. It, it just... It, to stay amused in heaven. Uh, there's always a reason for it, and there's always an after that he's aiming at. And therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. If you wouldn't mind me giving you just a little bit of advice, King Nebuchadnezzar. Here it is. Break off your sins by being righteous. 
uh, stop your, your sinful uh, behavior uh, and uh, your iniquities uh, uh, by showing mercy to the poor. And so stop your outrageous sinful behavior and start to show some concern for the poor. Uh, we, it, the, in, in the world today, anywhere you go around the world, you see these great temples that have been built. You see the pyramids. Uh, you see the Sphinx in Egypt. And, um, and all of it is very, very exciting to see uh, firsthand. Uh, but then you realize how many hundreds of thousands of people died, poor people. Uh, in order to build these monuments to man's egos. And uh, Bab- the city of Babylon was that. This was an extension of Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, and Daniel says, why don't you back off of the oppression of people to build these things that are just monuments to, uh, to yourself. And perhaps then there may be a lengthening of your prosperity so that this doesn't come upon you. And all of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was a good boy for 12 months, uh, and he was walking uh, uh, about the royal palace of Babylon. And as he's looking at the palace of Babylon, Babylon itself, he said, is, this, is not this great Babylon with all of its high walls, like 30 stories high, and, uh, the, and just magnificent beyond uh, description. And he said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power for the honor of my majesty? Ah, the old I am my, my uh, uh, thing. He clearly does not uh, understand the lesson at this point uh, that, uh, that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and he gives it to whomever he chooses and he chooses to give it to the weak. Uh, he's, he's full of himself here. And while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, to you it is spoken. Uh, the kingdom has departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall, uh, they shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And those were the last coherent words that... Uh, that he heard and he understood and now he becomes to live uh, like a beast and to live like an animal and and for any human being to live below what makes us unique as human beings from the animal kingdom uh, is to live a life of an animal a beast to live all of my life failing to realize that I have been created in the image of God and have been created for relationship with God uh, it, 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 I may be uh, it, 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 it is to live like an animal a person can be a smart animal they can be a talented animal they can be all of those things but they are no more than an animal and you see what we're doing in our country and in, in much of the Western world here, teaching our children now, now for multiplied generations. 
that there is no God. We are no different than the animal kingdom. And, uh, and what was this thing I saw in the news yesterday or something in the UK or whatever, and they uh, have supplied some kind of a living quarter to a orangutan as if it's a human being. You know, I mean, it's just all also uh, goofy what it is that, that is going on, but it is to live as an animal. And uh, what, a, what a horrible thing we are doing uh, to people today and thinking ourselves brilliant uh, for, for doing it. And that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men. He ate grass like oxen. His body was wet uh, with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers. So just matted in wet and oily down his body and his nails were like uh, bird's uh, claws. I, I never can read this except that I think about Howard Hughes in his final days. I mean, all of the money that he had, all of the women that he had, uh, all of the fame that he had, all of the things that everybody strives for. And uh, listen, uh, if you don't have your mind, uh, you don't have anything. Uh, my mother, she didn't tell us much as kids in terms of instruction, but she, she had like three sayings, and one of them was, if you have your health, you have everything. And I think it, she learned it from a, a Jewish friend of hers, so it must, maybe it's a common thing in the Jewish uh, culture. But there's a lot of truth to it. And here he has all of these things, uh, but, uh, but n no mind with a capacity. Because I wish I could be, you know, Howard Hughes. I wish I could know his life. You don't want to know his life and, uh, and, and where, where he en uh, ended up. And, and so this was his condition. And at the end of the time, uh, of the seven years, uh, I, Nebuchadnezzar, and then here it is, lifted my eyes uh, to heaven. And uh, everything changes with this. This is an act of submission on his part. And my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And when he finally looks up now, uh, that there is something greater than me, something higher than me uh, in, in life and in existence. Now, uh, his, suddenly his sanity returns to him. Uh, nobody thinks clear in this world until uh, they recognize the existence of the God of the Bible. Nothing makes sense in this world until there is that recognition. And then the first thing he does, got to give him credit for it. The first thing that he does with the return to sanity is he blessed the Lord and he praised the Lord and he honored the Lord. And he went on to say uh, there in uh, verse uh, 34, uh, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All of the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And uh, there goes the whole self-esteem movement. And he does according to his will. 
in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you uh, done? And so uh, this is what he declares uh, related to to God. Uh, God does what he wills. Nobody can stop him. God is running this entire universe and you best get in line with what he's doing uh, because it doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you are uh, or, uh, or proud that you, that you are. Uh, you're going to want to get on his side and, and he can uh, break you. And now here now, there isn't the slightest uh, uh, hint of pride in Nebuchadnezzar's life at all. And what a great weight must have been lifted off of him. In, in all of this. And then at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and, my, uh, my honor and splendor returned to me. He was restored to his position. Uh, my counselors and nobles, they resorted to me. They, they uh, allowed me back, gave me that, uh, that position of prominence once again. I was restored to my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added to me. In other words, I, there was a, a, a dimension, a dynamic about uh, my oversight of this empire uh, that, that uh, was now added to me that uh, had never existed uh, before. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, uh, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And he wants uh, his entire uh, empire to know, he wants the entire world to know that what was done to me was not an injustice at all. I'm not writing this to uh, get any pity from anyone. What God did in my life was absolutely just, and I uh, praise him for it, and those who walk in pride, he is able uh, to put down. And so, uh, and, and no one could know that quite like Nebuchadnezzar uh, could know that. And with these words, as I mentioned, Nebuchadnezzar, he disappears from uh, the pages now uh, of Scripture. And so, again, he's been out of circulation for seven years, and he writes this explanation to the entire uh, world. And I, I think as you read through this, uh, chapter 4, uh, what would you think of uh, the spiritual condition of a person who would write something like this and want the whole world to know it? I think I would think that he was uh, saved and a changed man. And, uh, and uh, if you disagree with that, me, that's, that's fine. I, I, the Bible says that love hopes all things, and so I, I would certainly hope uh, 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 for that. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he, he essentially gives the entire world uh, his testimony. Uh, uh, and, and what does he testify to? Uh, the, the greatest thing that happened in his life, and that was this encounter uh, with, uh, with God. And a testimony, of course, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And every single one of us that sits in this room as a Christian tonight, you have a Daniel chapter 4. You have a testimony. You might not have been the head of the Babylonian Empire uh, or, or whatever it is, but it's a testimony that is, uh, is every bit the miracle that Nebuchadnezzar's was. 
And, and there's a sense in which every one of our testimonies, and our testimony is, is, is simply our salvation story. And, uh, and our salvation story is always made up the same three things. Uh, as we see it in Scripture, Paul giving his so often, what we once were before we came to Christ, uh, number one. And then number two, how we came to Christ. And then number three, the person we now are after having become a Christian. And there's a sense in which all testimonies are precisely the same, in that they all have, are all unified by a faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but uh, from there, uh, what we come from and what we were to what we became, uh, testimonies are as different as, as snowflakes. There are no two that are, are e exactly alike. And this evening, as the worship team would come forward now and the men would come forward now to, uh, to hand out uh, the Lord's Supper, I want us just to take a moment and as we pass out the bread, uh, and, and then partake of the cup. I want us to think of two things related to the Lord's Supper tonight. First, concerning the bread, uh, just to remember your testimony and, uh, and to uh, thank God for your salvation story. And, and just take a moment, don't spend too much time there, but think about who and what you were before you became a Christian. And then all that God went through to break through your pride and my pride to bring me to this place, and then the glory of the life that we now have the privilege of living. Imagine continuing to live that old life that we once lived. And so much to be thankful for, so much to praise the Lord for. So let's make that our meditation uh, for the bread now. As the, as the men pass it out to us, take the cracker, hold on to it, because we'll then pray together and partake together. Trinity?